you join us here in Miami uh, for this message. And um, we, my wife and I have just spent 21 days, 20-something days in Europe, and we got to minister in four different churches, and there were some really good things. But because you guys are family, we want to share the journey with you, right? Isn't that fun? So you're going to get to see a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of time and show you a little bit of what Jesus did, and then I'm going to give you an um, encouraging word from the Scripture so I'll just share with you the first part. I had to go to Washington, D.C. to get my passport. It's a long story. It's like completely confusing. If you've ever tried to get your passport, you cannot get your passport. If you mail it in, they're telling you four to six months. My passport was expired. So they're telling me four to six months before I get my passport. If I want to renew my, if I want to get my passport, I can make an appointment exactly two weeks from the date of my travel. So we do that. And they give me an appointment on the day of my travel. And I'm like, what's the point of you guys giving me an appointment two weeks in advance if you give it to people on the day of their travel? Crazy story. And they're like, well, if you want to go to Washington, D.C., uh, you know, we have an appointment the day before. So long. We, our flight actually was out of Washington, so it was cool. Went there, got to run around Washington, meet some really interesting people, some really amazing people. And um, we stayed with a... Um, with a Muslim couple. We rented an Airbnb and they happened to be Muslim, which is totally cool. We were downstairs in the thing. And so the first story is this woman, Raja, who was really hospitable. She's like, I talked to her several times and she's got like this crazy business mind and everything. And so Sherry and I were staying downstairs in, in the little apartment that they had. And I came up one morning and uh, lots of Jesus encounters. I want you to see where the Lord is. And so we came upstairs and the, the husband was on the mat in the living room doing his prayers, you know, the Islamic prayers, whatever. And so when he got done, I said, hey, can I pray with you guys? Can I pray over you? And he was like, yes, please. Yes, please. So I got to pray with them and pray over them uh, in the name of Jesus. Yes. And they were very receptive. And he was so grateful that, you see, their prayers are like to the air. You know, our prayers carry love. Our prayers carry power. Our, par our prayers carry influence. And he was so moved that we would pray that I would pray for him that she went and made us some rock and coffee. And then she makes these little cookies, these little butter cookies that are like works of art. And she brings them over to the table. And we sat down in the morning and, and talked with them for a little bit. And I read her Proverbs 31 about the diligent woman and, you know, and, and uh, who can find one. And I just, I read that whole passage in Proverbs 31 to her. And I said, Raja, her name was Raja. I said, I want, and her husband's sitting there. And I said, I want to read you something. And I said, can I read you that? And I read it to her. And she looks at me and she's like, that's in the Bible? And I'm like, that's in the Bible and a whole lot more, you know? But did she receive Jesus? She didn't receive Jesus at the table, but she encountered the kingdom. I would love for them. I believe we could, you know, Sherry was saying her husband was really open, you know, but we didn't have, a, you know, the time and everything, but, you know, you just do what you can. Then when we were at the passport agency, we ran into a woman sitting in a passport agency, so many like encounters. And, you know, if you ever go to get your passport, you're sit, they put you in a line and you're waiting and, you know, like they're like, come back at three o'clock. We close at five, but come back at three. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, are we going to get our passport? Are we going to get it? You know, we only got two hours. Are we going to get it? And that's, everybody's talking like that. Are they going to give it to us today? I don't know. They, you know, and, and they go in crazy order, B56. And you're thinking, all right, I'm B57. C129. And you're like, what? You know, and they're just all over. B, 250. And you're like, what in the world? When am I ever going to be called? So anyway, we're there, and, we're, and this, we met this woman. I can't remember her name. And, and we met a couple of women there, and we saw them both on the street. I can't share you all the stories, but I will share you this one because I want you to understand how 
people can be impacted with the gospel through very simple acts. This woman was telling us she's a refugee from Afghanistan. And so her and her family, her sister, she has two other sisters, and they were repatriated when ISIS came into Afghanistan. And so they took her two sisters. One sister went to Canada, the other sister went to Germany, and then she came to the U.S. And we were talking about it, and she was saying, so listen up, Americans. You can think your country's got problems, but I can tell you from the perspective of this person, she said, by far, she said, I'm the one who got the better deal. And she said, by far. She said, the American people have been so kind to me and so generous to me, by far, more than, more than Canada and more than Germany has been to my sisters at all. And she said, they all want to come where I'm at. And so I was talking to her, of course, and she's telling me all this, and I'm going in on Jesus with her. I'm like, do you know? I'm like, hey, Ron. Yeah, I can't remember her name. I'm like, do you know Jesus? Have you ever heard of Jesus? You know, I'm start, you know, trying to have a conversation. And she's like, I have Jesus in my heart. I said, you have Jesus in your heart? And I said, how do you have Jesus in my heart? And so she starts telling, in your heart, and she tells me a story. When she first came to um, America, they were here. She said, we were, had nothing. They made us leave with nothing. She said, we had nothing. And she said, my husband asked me to make a specific food for him. Well, you know, it's an honor culture. And the wife, it's like a big deal to make food for her husband. No pressure, ladies. But it was like a big deal. So she goes to, uh, she goes to Walmart, and she realizes she doesn't have enough money to buy the ingredients to make the food that she wants, right, that her husband's asking for. And so she's, she doesn't want to call him and tell him that. She said, I'm there with my young daughter. And she starts crying. She said, I'm literally weeping in, you know, in, in, in Walmart, like, I don't have enough money for this. She said, while I'm standing there with tears in my face, she said, a woman appears out of nowhere and hands my daughter an envelope. And she said, I wasn't, I was so distraught that I wasn't paying attention. And she said, then the woman was gone. And she said, then her daughter hands her the envelope. She opens up the envelope and the card says, Jesus loves you. And inside was 50 bucks. Is that crazy? And she's telling me, like, how she came to the Lord. And then she just said, all these different Christians came into my life. And she said it was the Christians who really came around me. And so it's just really, really impacting. That happened in, um, uh, in Washington. We fly through various places. We end up in Prague. I'm, I'm fast-forwarding for you. I'm trying to get to the highlights, right? Lots of details, but I'm trying to get to the highlights. We go to Prague. We're ministering there with Alejandro in Prague. We land, we're on the ground two hours. Literally, they pick us up in a bus and they drive us to the church. We're standing in the church parking lot and they're like, okay, in an hour and a half, we're going to an outreach. Literally on the ground in Prague for like 90 minutes and we're driving downtown Prague, you know, the big colonnade in Prague, museum behind us, some statue of some dude who's like famous in the city, and there's a revival tent right setting, set up right in front of this whole place, right? And then, you know, we're doing ministry, whatever, and then the, I'm not expecting to say anything, and then the pastor's like, you're speaking. I'm like, me? You know, so I get up there, I do my thing, whatever, and then Sherry comes up, you know, I'm bringing my wife up. It's important to include the women in this process, right? It's in, yes, it's important. It's important. And so my wife gets up there and she starts praying and she just starts going, people of Prague, I release the Holy Spirit to the people of Prague. She just kept saying, I release the Holy Spirit over the city of Prague. And she just kept saying that and saying that out of nowhere comes this crazy wind. Whoosh, 
like blows down the corridor. It was a totally calm day. The pastor's holding the, uh, the tent down, and it was just rushing and rushing down the, down the... We're trying to get video of that, you know, like we're literally off the plane, and we're like, did anybody get that on video? That was surreal. And so that happened. Then we get to minister in the church that night. Uh, the pastor had us come, and we were, we were ministering in the church that night. And uh, the video that you're about to see woman comes up to me. So we're there with Alejandro, who's going to be here in two weeks. And we're doing Miracle Night, people. Alejandro Arias is a friend of ours. He's an evangelist, travels around. He's been here several times. But we're gonna, he's going to minister on the ninth in both services. And then that night, we're doing a miracle service. How many believes Jesus is going to... You're going gonna to see some miracles right now. But how many believes that Jesus does miracles? Right? So this is the time to bring, come one, come all, because we're going we're gonna to drop the mic here at Elevate. So we're at, we're at Prague. We're there. We're ministering. We're ministering that night. And uh, this woman, this woman you're going to see, and, and Alejandro starts calling out ears. And he starts telling me, like about four or five months ago, God just started, he just started experiencing where God was opening up deaf ears. He's like, I started seeing all these deaf ears open. I told him, I said, lead with that. I said, lead with that. I said, if that's where you're at, I said, I would be calling out ears all the time. I said, if you're seeing that, I said, that's, what, that's your opening call, right? And so he calls out ears. All these people come. All these people are getting healed of ears. This woman comes up to me. She's deaf in her left ear. That's all I know. Like, all right. So we pray for her. Her ear opens, right? Then she looks at me and says, uh, <laughs> she says, but my face is still numb. And there's part of it, you won't see it, but there's, and back in the clip, you'll see, I'm like looking at her like, what? You know, because I'm like, why is your face numb? And I look at the interpreter and I say, why is her face numb? And she says, she's had a stroke. And so her face became numb and she lost her hearing. And her arm is like this, right? She can't move her arm because of the stroke. So we pray over her, you know, start. I work with this woman for about 30 minutes. She's the only one I work with in Prague, right? So how many knows the Bible says it's the working of miracles? You understand that? And even that would be pray for people, there's the working of miracles. It's not always wham, bam, wham, bam. And I tend to be the guy that marinates. So when somebody comes to me and I'm seeing breakthrough with this person, I'm going to keep working with this person. That's the way I do it. You know, it's just the way that's the heart that God's given me. You know, and if you guys want to do down down the prayer line, I'm like, hey, you guys go do the prayer line. I'm going to work with this person because I want to see something manifest and I want to see the kingdom come forth. And so I'm working with her and I work for her about 30 minutes. Um, which is what the pastor allotted us to, to minister to the people. So her ear opens. We pray again. Her face, her face gets um, healed. She's got f- healing in her face, and she's lifting her arm. So you're going to see the video at the end. This is like sort of the culmination of it. Just watch her face. Watch this woman's face. Roll that video, Alex. Get closer. Her ear, she couldn't lift her arm. So we're going to show you. Tell them, tell them. Tell them. Can you hear? Ask her if she can hear out of the ear that she has. Hallelujah! Could she Father, we pray for all the young people She's going to lift her arm. She can hear and she's got feeling. Watch this. Look at her face. That's crazy. Come on. I could look at that all day long. The look on that woman's face. I'm just like, because she was just like, 
She couldn't lift her arm. She couldn't even use her arm. Crazy. So we had that. And then we, um, the, at this church, we, we were there. We ministered at the, at the event. Um, this woman, when she came up, she came right up to me, this woman here. And she's like, she, we had an interpreter. She's like, when you spoke at the outreach, I felt faith. And I'm like, well, that's great. And I was like, well, what can I do? How can I pray for you? And that's when she started telling me about the ear and just amazing stuff. And so from there, Sherry and I got invited to go to a, there was a Czech, it was a, a, a Dutch guy that was there. He and him, he and his wife go to this church in, um, in Germany. And so he's like, hey, would, would you guys, you know, he starts talking to us and he's like, I, um, there, there's, um, there's a city in Germany called Hernhut. And Hernhut was the place where the Moravians went forth. It was a big missionary base in the 1600s. This group of people, these Moravians, they launched more missionaries in 25 years than the church had done in the previous 200. And so Paul says to me, look, I know people in Herrenhut. I'm going to get you guys a tour. You guys can go to Herrenhut and do a tour, and we're going to show you all around and get all this stuff done. He said, the only favor I ask of you is that my wife and I go to this church, and they're having a meeting that night. Could you just show up at the church? Could you guys just go and hang out there? She's like, he's like, I think the church would be really encouraged. This is Jehovah Sneaky. I think the church would be really encouraged if you guys showed up. And so we're like, yeah, okay, we'll go. So we go to Herrenhut, and then we show up at this church like an hour late, you know, because we're like thinking whatever. And they got sandwiches there for us, and they got like fresh fruit and everything. And so we're, we're well, we got lost. That's another story. But yet we're found. We're lost but yet we're found. And anyway, so we, we're eating the sandwiches and we're drinking the, the whatever. And uh, then we get up and we walk in there into the thing and the pastor comes up to us with an interpreter and he says, uh, uh, they had been waiting. Well, they, no, he didn't say any of that. They don't, they don't talk like that. But they, little, the, church, the whole church had been waiting for us for an hour. And, you know, put that in American context. Would you wait for somebody for an hour? I mean, we get so easily offended so easily, oh, I ain't waiting for no hour. I got things to do. That's how we are. This church is hungry for the things of God, and they waited an hour for us. An hour, right? And so I didn't even know why they were waiting. I'm like, they're waiting for us? The pastor comes up, and he says, Elena tells me that you and, you and Sherry are very gifted in the prophetic, and would you prophesy over our people? Would you give prophetic word to our people? And I looked at him, and I said, are you open to this? And he goes like this. He looks at me and he goes, we are ready for this. And I said, let's light it up. And so we got the minister for life. I mean, it went, Sherry's telling me, we're only going to go to this service for an hour. And then she starts prophesying and it's like two and a half hours. We're into the whole, the whole thing. It was amazing. It was crazy stuff. That went on. That was really beautiful. We weren't expecting that. So we go there. Then we end up in Naples. So we go to Naples. We're in Naples, Italy. Got to minister in the church. And then, like, we got, we had four nights where we were praying for people. And the church there is very sort of, they're extremely expressive people. If you've ever been to Naples, they're super expressive. They talk with their hands. What do you want? What I want. Are you stupid? So if you see anybody do that to you, that's not a good thing. But anyway, they talk, but they're very beautiful people, uh, qualified for the Formula One driving on their streets. It was madhouse. It was just really crazy. But in the church, there's just a lot of reserved posture. And so as Alejandro was ministering, like, he, like one night he calls for miracles. Whoever needs a miracle, come forth. Come down. We're going to pray for you. Four people come. Four. And two of them were kids. 
And Alejandro's like, this has got to be the hardest place I've ever ministered. And I told him, just keep bringing it. Just keep bringing it. Just keep bringing it. And so the fourth night um, we were there, uh, the night before uh, was a Saturday, and the, the, the founding pastor of the church, o- older gentleman, his grandson now is the, the lead pastor, but he sits in the front row with a cane, like kind of looks like the godfather sitting there in the front row in the seat, right? He tells the guy, Rodolfo, the guy who organized it, he said, I want him to speak on Sunday morning. And so Rodolfo's like, you're going to speak on Sunday morning. And I'm like, and it's like, it, you got to realize it's like 1045 at night. And, and the church starts at 10 o'clock the next morning. And I had messages prepared, but nothing that like leaned towards a Sunday morning message at all. So nonetheless, we ministered in that church and it was a well church. So they come up to us and they say, this is a very important church. From this church came four other churches. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, but then I realized what an honor was being paid to me by being asked to speak in this church. And so uh, Sherry and I went. They had a lot of revivals come out of this church. And so I bring Sherry up. And she just blows the religious spirit right out the door in the name of Jesus. And they were all crying, all the women. Well, yeah, it's a big deal. If you don't understand what that culture is, that's a big deal. I'm like, you know. And so, and all the women were crying and hugging Sherry afterwards. And she's like, oh, you, you know, it's like your message was amazing or whatever. And I go, they weren't crying and hugging me, man. They were crying and hugging you, you know. But it was, it was amazing. And so here's, uh, so then the next night we had, we did another service. And so here's just a couple of quick things from that service. So what's the next video? Okay, stop right here. Okay. All right, all right, yeah, I know this guy. Okay, so this guy had fallen. He had had an injury, and he had injured himself, and he couldn't breathe, and he can't lift his arm, right? So this guy comes up. He's wheezing. They're, like, practically carrying him to me, right? He had fallen. He, his body had not healed from an injury, so we pray for him, and you'll see. Go ahead. He doesn't need help anymore. Okay, so the next video, so we're in a prayer line, and this night everybody comes forth. So this this was this was the last night. And so we go up to the ministry line. So I have to tell you this. I don't have to. Do you want to hear it? You guys want to hear it? Okay. All right. It's kind of funny. But um, the guy comes up to me. So this is the first dude I got to pray for, right? This is not this guy. This is later. So, you know, the whole night we hadn't been able to minister to a lot of people because not a lot of people were coming forward. You know, pray for some people with depression. Saw some healing there. Saw a bunch of breakthrough there. But we had not really prayed for any miracles, to say the, to, to say the least, the whole night. Then, so the first guy that comes up to me, he has a withered hand right? First guy. It's like right off the rip. I'm like, okay, Kevin, batter up, you know? So the guy's there and he's got a withered hand. So I just step back and I'm trying to discern it. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do, Holy Spirit? And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me I'm going to open his hand and he's going to move his wrist. And so I tell the interpreter, tell him the Lord is going to open his hand and he's going to move his wrist. And he's, and the interpreter looks at me and says, he does not, because the guy's arguing with the interpreter, he does not want you to pray for him in this manner. And I said, well, what does he want? He said, he wants his arm to get bigger and he wants his arm to get stronger. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, all right, Lord, what are you going to do? And the Holy Spirit's like, I'm going to open his hand and he's going to move his wrist. 
And so I tell the guy again, I hear the Lord saying, he's going to open your hand and you're going to move his wrist. And I got oil all over my hand, so I like grab his wrist and he pulls his hand away from me. And he says, he does not want you to pray for him in this manner. And I said, well, okay, tell me what he wants. He said, and so I just, I, you know, I'm like, whatever. And so I pray for him and just whatever. I, I know nothing's going to happen. I, you know, you don't dictate the terms. The Holy Spirit tells you where to go. So it's like, I'm not, I can't dictate this. I can't say, this is my will. And I certainly can't say, this is his will. When I clearly heard the, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, I know that's what he wants to do. And so he didn't, you know, so anyway, I pray for him. Then the next guy, the very next guy comes up to me and his scapula, the bone in his back, is sticking out of his back like an arrow. And he had injured himself, everybody say it with me, 38 years ago. He had torn something and there's just really severe damage. He had not been able to lift his arm for 38 years. He'd been to surgeons and physicians. No one can repair the damage. And he told me that they told, the doctors have told him, he's just going to have to live with it. And so I asked him, I said, did Jesus tell you you had to live with it? And of course, the interpreter did to Jesus tell you, you had to, anyway, but so I pray for him and I asked the Lord, I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, he's going to lift his arm. I'm like, just, dude, you're going to lift your arm. So just go in on it, pray for him. Uh, he couldn't get his arm up. So I don't even know what I was thinking at the time. I grabbed the guy's hand and I start moving his arm up and down. And about the third, yeah, the third time in, I'm realizing, ah, this guy might be in pain. And so I asked the interpreter, I said, is he in pain? He said, no, but his, I remember his hand was ice cold you know, the lack of circulation. So his hand was like freezing cold. And so long story short, here it is. Watch this. This is the arm right here. Thirty-eight years. He couldn't use his right arm. Thirty-eight years. Come on. If Jesus can heal somebody without an arm for 38 years, you don't think he can heal you? You don't think he can restore your life, your family, whatever it is that's damaged? People say it won't work, it won't be fixed. That's all he heard his whole life. That's all he heard. He heard his whole life get you 38 years. Can you imagine? The guy can't use his arm for 38 years. I told him, I said, every time you're in church, you should have your right hand up. I said, you should hold it up as long as you can. I said, you've been robbed of worship for 38 years. And I said, your hand should always be up as a testimony of what God has done. That's what I told him. Come on. Okay, then this other guy, throw the other video up there. So then, uh, not that one. Go back. Go back to the, to the guy with the arm because at the end of it. All right, well, yeah. All right, well, yeah, this guy right here. So this guy's a worship leader. He's had searing pain in his right ear for three years. I had to work with him too, right? Because you got to work through it. Why, where is this coming from? Why is this there? He had searing pain, couldn't concentrate, couldn't think. He said, it very much bothers me. He said, I tried to numb, numb it, all this other stuff. Anyway, his ears healed. So you're going to see that. Go ahead. Okay, so go to the next one. This is just 
I'm just trying to give you context. I'm not trying to bling myself out here. But this was at the Well Church, the, the, the church that started everything. All right, so go to the next one. I don't know if you guys can see it. Okay, so this guy, so then we go to a conference. We go to this conference in Amsterdam. Where this conference hadn't happened in 50 years. Billy Graham held this conference 50 years ago, and it was a gathering of global evangelists, and they all came together to try to unify, to try to you know, strategically impact the world. This was 50 years ago. If anybody knows about revival movements, there were great revival movements that moved through the country for about 30 years. They were moving like globally. I believe it's a direct link to that, to this, to this conference. It's the first time in 50 years this conference has been held. There are Jesus freaks out there, people. There are some people who are going for it. And I'm around these guys and I'm like, I gotta up my game, man. Elevates up in her game. We're going higher and we're going further in the name of Jesus. This story is a wild story, and I'm totally going to butcher it. So my wife, if you ever go to a conference with Sherry, one thing is sure. A, well, two things. You're going to have a great time. And number two, you're going to have amazing seats because Sherry goes for the best seats. We're in the front row, right? So Sherry gets the front row, and then Alejandro's like, are we sure? Are you sure, Sherry, we can sit in the front row? I don't want to get kicked out of the front row. And Sherry's like, ah, we got the front row. We're good. And so she was sharing four seats. And Alejandro's like, we don't need four. I mean, she's like, well, I just feel like I'm supposed to save four seats. This guy keeps coming over and asking Sherry, can I sit there? Can I sit there? Can I sit there? And Sherry's like, no, wait for my friend, and then I'll tell you. Wait for my friend, and then I'll tell you. And I'm thinking the guy's an usher. So I'm like, dude, there's seats everywhere. Why do you, you know, I'm thinking, why do you keep coming over here asking for this seat? You know, there's like, there, the, you know, there's room out here. And, but lo and behold, it turned out that when Alejandro got there, she let him sit there. I start talking to this guy afterwards, and he's a pastor from Amman, Jordan. And he oversees churches in Syria, Jordan, uh, Iraq, and Lebanon. And I start talking with him, and he starts telling me that his main ministry in Jordan is to refugee Muslim women. And that these women are refugees. He starts showing eight. He showed me pictures that would make you cry. Eight hundred women, and he said nobody wants them. He said they feel completely unwanted. He said they're not wanted by their government. They're not wanted by the country that they're in. They're complete and total outcasts. And he said there is an amazing opportunity for the church in this moment and in this time. And so God willing, I'm going to make connection with this guy. Anybody want to work with Amon Jordan? No, two of you? Anybody want to see God do a revival? I guarantee it. You start getting these women saved? Good God. Good God. You start reviving and turning these women and igniting these women for Jesus? No, tell them how they were taking off their, they came off their They started taking off their face coverings in church, which is a major deal. He showed pictures of them in church, and there was many of them, and he said they would, and he just said that that is a huge thing for them to uncover their faces in public. He said they would never do that, and they're worshiping Jesus with their faces uncovered. And he said, that is a huge thing. And he said, no one wants them, so we minister to them. And I asked the Lord, because I'm always trying to test him, not test him, but talk to him. And I'm like, what's the message to these people? And I have other things to say off this, but, but this was just part of my conversation with the Lord. I said, what would you say to these people? What would you say to those women? What would the message, what message could we bring to them? And the Lord says, you tell them that I was a refugee. You tell them that I know what it's like to be outcast. You tell them that I know what it's like to have no place to lay my head. And he said, you use that as a bridge 
you know? And it was just surreal that immediately I felt like I had a word for them. So it's just really cool. This guy's doing a great work. So we met him, saw him, in, saw him the next day. We're supposed to have lunch, but life got crazy. And I was like, well, she's like, what about that guy, Khalil? She's like, you're going to connect with him? I go, I got his information. I'll connect with him later. We walk into the conference hall, and the guy's standing right at the front door, literally standing at the front door. So we start talking, and I ask him to pray, to bless in Arabic and to pray for the lost in Arabic. And so he's going to just lay it out there. So hopefully this blesses you. He's going to pray for you. We need it. Uh, and now I, I will pray in Arabic. I will bless you. Amen. Maybe all the time the Arab people. And, and call, uh, <laughs> call people to Jesus in Arabic. Yeah, Speak yes, it out, yeah. man. Just go for it. Just pray. يا رب أنا بشكرك أنا بعظمك في هذا الوقت يا رب لأنك صالح جدا يا رب أنت عظيم أنت قدوس يا رب ليس مثلك يا رب أنت يا رب من خلقت السماء والأرض وكل ما فيها أنا بصلي في اسم يسوع الآن يا رب لأجل متعبين متألمين لأجل حزانة لأجل نفوس بعيدة لأجل نفوس ضاعت يا رب وضلت الطريق يا رب تعلن ذاتك يا رب تيجي بإعلان تيجي بحضور ثقيل جدا يا رب تعال يا رب بروح الحكمة والإعلان تعال بسموات مفتوحة تعال يا رب اعلن ذاتك اظهر ذاتك يا رب واعلن خلاصك ومحبتك يا رب في هذا الزمان أنا بصلي لأجل كل شخص عم بسمع يا رب هذه الصلاة بهذا الوقت يا رب بصلي لأجل ناس محتاجين يا رب للمسة منيك يا رب لمسة شفاء لمسة حياة لمسة خلاص يكون زمن إعلان وزمن خلاص باسم يسوع يا رب تعال يا رب تعال بنفوس كثيرة يا رب لتعرفك تتغير يا رب امنح قلوب يا رب سلام امنحهم راحة امنحهم حرية من أي أسر وسلطة غريبة أنا بصلي باسم الآب والابن والروح القدس آمين هللويا آمين فويجو ميامي أنا لا أعلم ما قال فويجو ميامي أنا أعلم أنه يحبه ويحبه 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 Okay, so last night, and this is, this is just a little romance here, so that's, you know, trying to tie it all together, you know, we, you know, trying to tie it all together. So last night in Naples, uh, this Airbnb guy that we were renting from, who seemed like a very sophisticated man, I said, I told Sherry, I said, I bet you this guy knows good restaurants. So I wanted to take Sherry to a nice place. That was my, my number one goal. We had a free day on Monday, and I said, my number one goal is to find a nice place. And so we went to a, a seafood restaurant on the water, and I said, nah, that's not it. I said, we're gonna go to another one. So I asked this dude, Ernesto, and he sent us to this place up in the mountains. And so this is us up there. So let's show the next one. This is when we arrived, this, was what, this is the backdrop, right? This guy knew a bunch of restaurants. I told Sherry, we're going to rent from him next time just to get his restaurant list because the food was insane. So, okay, go to the next one. And so there's, there she is again. So the, the food, man, we had, the food, it, he's, he sent us to this region called Gragnano, and he said it is, it is the pasta center of all of Italy. So we went to this place, and it was in, absolutely insane. The, the, the food was crazy good. I told Cherry I want to go sleep on the floor over there so I can wake up and have these guys feed me again. So it was that good. It was amazing. So what do you got next? Okay, there she is again. Sorry. You know, hey, listen, when you, when you get a chance to do a slideshow, you can throw your wife up there as many times. All right, next one. This is the Everyone Conference. Next one. Next slide. Okay, so then we're at this conference, and we went there the first day, and I'm sitting next to this, this lady, and it turns out that she's from Ghana. And so I start talking to her about Ghana, and I send Ali a text because Ali's from Ghana, and she said, tell her that my, uh, my, my, uh, my father's tribe was Fonti. And so I tell her and her husband, I said, my friend's tribe is Fonti. And so she tells me, I'm Fonti. And then I said, her last name, she's this woman is Fonti. What are the odds from, from Ghana? 
Then we had, we had two people from Ghana in the first service, and we had a woman from, from Rome, Italy in the first service. Yeah, it, they were like, they couldn't believe it. Like, they were like, wow, what are the odds that we're here today? And you're talking about this, Jesus, that's the odds. And so she's like, oh, I know Amanus. I said, she says she knows Amanus. She said, the name is Amano Neza. So I was like, I have no idea what that means, so send it to Ali, Ali maybe it means something. So this was just a really cool story, connecting story at the, at the conference. And then so the next one up here. Then this dude's sitting next to me, and I start talking to him, and he's a pastor from India, and turns out he speaks Telugu, which is Alex's language. Only 8 million people in the world speak this language. I'm sitting next to this dude at the conference, and he speaks Telugu. I go, you speak Telugu? I said, my, my ministry, I don't, even, I don't even have a title. My executive ministry assistant is, it speaks Telugu. And so I start, they're, they're they start chatting back and forth on the phone, and Alex is like, tell him this, and I'm then sort of talking in Telugu. He's 30 miles from Alex's town. His church is 30 miles from Alex's town. So again, what are the odds, you know? Just really cool connecting stories, and, uh, you know, God's in it. And so I just want to share with you. I think that's all of them, yeah. So I just want to share with you that, you know, we are honored to lead this church, and from this church's beginning, we have felt that there's been a prophetic mandate over us to reach and touch nations. And while that never really seemed to ever happen, there are doors that are opening for us now, like in an insane way. And so I can't even, I, I haven't even got my head wrapped around it all yet. And so what I would say to you is that every door of ministry that the Lord opens for us, our heart is to open it to the church. And that we would do this together, whatever it is that God lays before us, and that we would do it as a family, and that this church would fulfill its prophetic mandate, and that we would touch nations. And so that's my word to you, and my word, and anybody with me? Anybody want to touch nations? Come on. So it was a really cool story. So I want to share with you a quick word, right? We were there. I got to speak in this church in um, Naples, uh, and they told me it's a well, and I got three hours to prepare something for a church that started other churches. And I'm like, okay, this is great. No pressure, Kevin, no pressure. And so I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, what, what should I do? And he said, lead them through wells. And just coming here this morning, I, I want to give you that same word that I gave them because I was praying today and, and the Lord was, I was thinking about this well and every place that we were in, we were in Prague and we were in front of a statue of a guy named John Huss who gave his life for the Czech people uh, in, in the 1600s, the Catholic Church burned him at the stake because he was preaching gospel to them in Czech and wasn't following their decrees. And uh, they said to him, uh, they gave him an opportunity to recant, and he said, I recant nothing. I'm ready to die today. And so they executed Haas, and it created a great revival in the Slavic lands. And so I'm like, this is a well. Then we were in Naples, and we went to the coast with uh, the guy who was organizing everything. He was trying to show us around. And we went to the place where the Apostle Paul first landed on his way to Rome after the shipwreck, where the gospel first entered Europe. This was the landing place. And I'm like, this is a well, right? This is a, this is a beginning point. This is a revival well. We went there, and then I got an opportunity to speak in a church that was a well in, um, in Naples. And I believe that th there's never been a well opened in Miami. A well is when the God's word and power moves in such a way that it affects the whole region. It starts affecting, it creates an ecosystem all of its own. It's what waters do. Waters create a delta and they create an ecosystem. And there's never been a move of God like that in this city. 
And I felt like even coming here, I was thinking about this, and the Lord says that your water table is very close to the surface. So our water table is in South Florida is maybe six feet down at the most, but you have to go through some really hard rock to get to that water table. And the water that flows under the ground is very, very pure. We have a natural filtration system, the Florida aquifers. It's, it's sand and silt, and so the water is already, it's an, a natural system, and that water is right there. And so we're believing God that Elevate is going to open a well. Are you with me? That's where you come in, right? And we're believing God that God's going to not only allow us to touch nations, but in doing so, we're going to touch this city in a way that's never been happened before. And some of you, yeah, come on. And so some of you don't know this, but right outside of our front door is the main water line that flows to South Miami and Coral Gables. And I know this because the city dug it up one time on a Saturday or on a Friday afternoon, and I, I kind of lost my Jesus on, on the workers because I'm like, you guys are closing off the street. You're digging up the street. I'm like, we have a church. County, ru county rules are you have to let us know two weeks in advance before you do any of the work like this. So we don't have any time to prepare for this. I start talking to him. Guy sends a supervisor over. Supervisor says, look, you can make a big deal out of this if you want. And I know I could, and I could actually get the work to shut down because the county can't do that. He said, but this is an emergency repair for all of the people in South Dade. And he said, if we don't repair this, you know, the people down there aren't going to have water. So, of course, you know, they do that. But I'm driving home, and the Lord shows me, and he says, do you think it's any coincidence, right? So if you're going to plant a church and you're going to put a church in an area, this is not what church planters do. They wouldn't put a church in this location. It's completely counterintuitive it's to, to the way that things are done systematically. But this is the prophetic place that God has established us. And so we, the Lord told me, do you think it's a coincidence that I sat you right upon the water table? Do you think that's a coincidence, Kevin? So I, I, I believe that God has something great, and I believe that this church is to be a river and that this church is to be a well. So wells matter. And in the Bible, there is lots of wells. They're very, they're, if you read the Bible a lot, you just look over these wells and you think, well, that's just a common thing. But each of the well, if you know the story behind some of these wells, there's a prophetic significance behind them. And I'm going to illuminate some of them for you in the next 22 minutes. God help me. The well of Marah is found in the book of Exodus 15. And what's happening, the children of Israel are coming out of, um, they're coming out of Egypt and they come and they're complaining and all of these different things are happening and they come upon a pool of water. They don't have water and the only pool of water that they come upon is a pool that's bitter. And so they can't drink the water. The water's bitter. And so the, Moses asks the Lord and the Lord tells Moses, cut a tree branch down and throw it into the well. And when you throw the tree branch into the well, the water will be made sweet. The Bible tells us in the book of uh, Jeremiah that Jesus is a branch so what's happening here is there's a prophetic, God is illuminating something future. He's illuminating that when we let Jesus into the well of our bitterness, the well will become sweet. God's intention is that we drink waters of joy, not waters of bitterness. And that the only way that the water turns from bitter to sweet is when we let Jesus get involved. And so Moses cut down the branch and threw the branch into the water. And so God will turn your bitterness he would turn, it says in Psalm chapter 30, it says he turns your sorrow into dancing, right? You can cry if you want to. It's your party, you can cry if you want to. Or you can let God turn your, your sorrow into dancing because he will do it. You can let, in, a, in the book of Isaiah, it says he'll give beauty for ashes. And there are people that their lives are just completely torched. Anybody feel that? I felt that way many times in my life. My life is torched. 
You know what I'm saying? Your relationship's torched. Your life's torched. Your finances are torched. Your future's torched. Everything. You're just torched. There's nothing left. It's burnt down. And God said, if you'll give me what's burnt down, I'll make it beautiful. I'll turn it around. This is who he is, right? So anybody ever, ever here ever been offended? You ever been hurt? Come on. We're in church. We're supposed to tell the truth, right? If you've never been hurt and offended and carried offense, then you've never been hurt deeply enough. Anybody that tells you, oh, I forgive everybody, I forgive everybody, I don't carry offense, I don't carry offense, they're either highly disciplined and developed, which I would say they're not, or they're lying. And the reason that I know is because you might be spiritual, but you're also human. And because you're human, you are emotionally vulnerable, and you're emotionally exposed. And most of the pain in our lives is at the emotional level. You know, we get hurt, we get offended, you know, we carry bitterness towards our spouse, we carry bitterness of something that happened in, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, we carry that stuff. And uh, something that occurred with me is that the Lord starts dealing with me on my issues. You cannot say with me, I cannot move forward until I deal with the issues of the past. See, Christians are under this illusion that all of the past issues are dealt with. I'm like, really? Are they? Are they really? In theory, yes, but not in application. God has healed the past spiritually, but that healing must become manifest in the now. You know, we act like we don't have any issues with the past. Oh, my past is over, my past is over. If you look at the people's lives, you can tell that their past is affecting them, and that's why they can't move forward. You can never move forward until you deal with the issues of, of the past. And that, that looks like many things. That looks like hurt, that looks like pain, that looks like abuse, abandonment, neglect, looks like failure, looks like regret. You know, all of those things wound us and we get stuck in a moment of time and we cannot move forward. So I'm asking the Lord to move forward. And he's like, Kevin, I want you to give up your regret and I want you to give up your offense. And it took me a while because I had to make sure where, did I, where are the regrets in my life? Where's the pain in my life? Where have people offended me? <laughs> I love it when people talk to me about church hurt. Oh, churches have hurt me. I don't go to church because churches have hurt me. I'm like, church hurt, bro? Get in line. Get in line. You know, it's not even about church hurting people. Pastors that genuinely lead their congregations are hurt more than most people realize. And that's why they withdraw from the people because they get offended at God's people and they get offended at God. But we cannot move a church forward. We cannot move a ministry forward. We cannot move a life forward until we deal with the things that have hurt us and offended us. And so the Lord's like, will you, will you give me your right of offense? I'm like, okay. And it took me a while, and I had to figure it out how he wanted me to do that and what way to go about that. And I, and I worked on that, and I gave him my offense. And then he's like, will you give me your right of vengeance? Hmm. You know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? We all like that one, right? Vengeance is mine. But sometimes we want vengeance, don't we? Lord's like, vengeance is mine. And I'm like, but can't you just give me this one? Can't you just let me have just this one, Lord? Just let me, just let me have vengeance here. Like, man, we need to pray for this pastor. Have you ever been hurt? You want, and when you're hurt, you want to see people hurt like you, don't you? And do you know why you feel that way? It's not because you're not saved. It's because you're human. You're human, right? We're spiritual, but we're human, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure, so there's got to be some kind of component where we deal with that. So I had to lay that down, and as I laid that down, God began to heal me. God began to restore me, and my life started moving forward. Until you deal with the bitterness, the anger, the regret, the, 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 the vengeance, until you begin to work through that heart process, your life will never move forward. You will stay stuck in a moment. 
just a fact. You have to take the pool of Mara and turn it into the pool of joy. That's the well of joy. God wants us to drink from joy and not from bitterness and not from hurt and not from pain. The second well is the well of Rebekah. If you know this story, stories also, and a lot of these wells are in Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Abraham wanted a wife for his son, Isaac. So Abraham's looking at his son, Isaac, and he's thinking, this dude's got to get married, man. He's spending way too much time in Batman PJs and eating chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> playing World of Warcraft. This guy's got to get, this guy's got to find a wife and shape him up. You know what I'm saying? And so Abraham looks at the boy and then tell, tells his servant, go back to my father's country, to my, to, my, to my country, and find a wife for my son. He commits it to the servant. So the servant's kind of like, I, I will do this, I will do this. And then he's like, Jesus, help me, you know, because he doesn't want to fail. So he starts talking to the Lord, and he says, Lord, let the woman that I come upon serve me water, but also water my camels. Let that be a sign to me that this is the one that you've chosen. And so the servant goes to this well, and he sits down at the well, and here comes Rebecca to the well. And Rebecca draws the water of servitude, and she begins to serve the servant, and she says, can I water your camels also? And so the servant goes, bing, you know, light goes on. And so what this is, this is the well of servitude. The well of servitude is a deep well. It takes work. Not every well is, is the pool of Mara is a shallow well, right? Which probably reflects on how shallow that bitterness is. But nonetheless, but the pool of, pool of servitude was a deep well. Rebecca had to drop the bucket. You have, you have to work to serve. You know what I'm saying? When you're going to go serve others, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, if, anybody here serve other people? right? It, it, it's, it's work sometimes, right? It, it's not easy to do that. And Rebecca had to work, and she had to labor, and she served the servant, and she served the camels. She was laboring at the pool of servitude. And the reward of the pool of servitude is unexpected blessings. She wasn't looking for a husband, but she got one because she was drawing water from the well of servitude. She wasn't looking for a rich uh, father-in-law, but she got one because she was dwelling, drawing from the water of servitude. When we water others, the Bible says God waters us. It's Proverbs. In watering others, the Lord waters you. He waters you. He takes care of you. Well, if I serve other people, who's going to take care of me? Uh, Jesus. And you can call upon the Lord for that reward. I have served others, Lord. I need you to serve me. Bam. He will. He will. And so when we do this, this is an important thing. We have to learn to draw from the water of servitude, and we need to expect unexpected blessings. Hmm? I, got it. I got asked to become an elder at a church because I was, like, actually running around uh, picking up the trash and all these different things, and all I was doing was serving. I wasn't looking for anything, wasn't asking for anything. You know, I had hopes and dreams in my heart, but I certainly wasn't pushing it into the church. And they saw the way that I served, and then they began to invite me into deeper levels of ministry because I served because I cared about what something that mattered to them. And that, you, you get the picture? So you get unexpected blessing through servitude. We think we get unexpected blessing by selfish behavior. That's not the kingdom. Here's one of my favorite ones is the pool of Hagar, right? So this is in Genesis chapter 21. If you don't know these stories, I'm, I'm gonna help, do my best to help you. Hagar was the maid of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And so Hagar, being the maid of Abraham's wife, Sarah, lived in the house. Everything was related to Abraham and his family. Sarah and Abraham were given a prophetic word, which, by the way, we gave a prophetic word to Charmaine a few, week, a few weeks ago, told her that she was gonna get a raise. Huh? I don't know if y'all remember that. 
gave her a prophetic word, told her God's going to give you a raise. She tells, she said that she was at her highest pay grade and that she couldn't go any higher and that they didn't know what they were going to do with her, you know, because she was already at her high pay grade. She just told me today she got a $4,000 a year raise and they retroactivated it a year. Uh Uh-huh. Come on, right? So the pool of Hagar... Sarah and Abraham had a prophetic word that God was going to give them a child. Well, Sarah's looking at herself, and she's like, me? That's not going to happen. Sarah undervalued herself, and she undervalued what God was going to do with her. And so she said, I can't do this. You do it through Hagar. And so there's two mistakes here. A, Sarah turned over the promise to Hagar, and B, Abraham actually went along with the plan, right? Both are fatal flaws. Sarah brought calamity into her house and Abraham brought calamity into his house by making this effort. She's like, I'm going to help. I'm going to help God. I'm going to help Jesus fulfill the word because we don't want Jesus to look bad. So Hagar's going to have the child. And so as normally happens, Sarah ended up having a child and now there's contention between the two women. Mm-hmm. Ladies, you like to share your husband? Come on, you be honest. Do you like to share your husband? Do you like to share your husband's affections? You don't like to share your husband's affections with soccer. You don't like to share your husband's affections with any kind of football or sporting event. Nothing, you know, you want his attention, don't you? Not all the time, but, it, but you want him, you want to be his, can you imagine if there's another woman that he's given some attention to? Woo! Bristly, bristly, bristly it would be, you know? And so there, there's tension between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah tells Abraham, Abraham's like, Jesus, what do I do? This is what we men do, because the wife's like, you need to do something about this. And I just go, Jesus, what do I do? You know? And so the Lord tells Abraham, send her away, and I'll take care of her. That's literally what it says. Send her away, and I'll take care of her. You know? And so Abraham provides for Hagar, sends her away. Hagar leaves. What did she do? She lost her job. She lost her home. She lost her security. She lost everything in a moment. It was all gone. Everything was gone in a moment. And she began to weep and she began to cry and she takes the boy, the gift that God had given her, she sets the boy down to die because she knows she's going to die in the wilderness. She knows she's going to die in the desert. And she starts crying. Hagar's problem was that she thought Abraham was her source. Hagar's problem was that she thought her job was her source. Hagar's problem was that she thought her relationships were her source. Your job, your relationships, your economic status, wherever it is, your position, that is not your source. So long as you view that as your source, you will always live in economic and social and spiritual destitute. You will always be there. That's exactly what happened to to her. She didn't understand that the Lord was her source, that the Lord would take care of her. She didn't get it. She didn't understand it. She viewed viewed life very naturally. A a supernatural kingdom cannot manifest itself when you have a natural mindset. She had to view it and say, this job's not my source. The Lord's my source. This relationship's not my source. The Lord's my source. My security, my home is not my source. The Lord's my source. It doesn't matter what happens to me. God is for me. It doesn't matter what is occurring around me. The Lord will see me through it. He will provide for me, and he will, he will, he will do great things, and he will do it on my behalf. The Bible says he gives nations for your ransom. You are loved in the highest way. Hagar didn't get this. When Hagar reached over and picked up, say it with me, she picked up. Come on. She picked up the promise that she had let go. God had given her something. She picked up the blessing that God had given her. When she picked up that blessing, a well appeared right in front of her. 
And the Bible says the well was there the whole time. The provision, the power, and the purpose was there the whole time. She couldn't see it. Why could she not see it? Because she thought naturally. She was naturally minded. How many of you, God has supernatural provision for you. He's got a way through the wilderness. He's got a way up the mountain. He's got a way forward. But you can't see it because you're constantly looking in natural means. And examine your life and look how many decisions you make based on the natural. And that'll give you a great clue whether you think spiritually or whether you think naturally. Yeah? Do you, every decision you make is based upon natural circumstances, what the news says, what the economy says, or is it based upon what the Lord says? The well of provision that God has for you can only be seen when you, when you see him and not your natural circumstances. So the pool of Hagar, the well of Hagar, is the well of provision. Pool of Sychar, this is where the woman at the well, Jesus met the woman at the well, the woman who had many husbands. He said, you don't have one husband, you've had five. And Larry, the guy you're living with in the trailer down by the river, he's not your husband. <laughs> She's like, I perceive you're a prophet, right? What, what's this pool made out of? This pool is the pool of revelation. That's what it is. The whole story, this whole story, this whole exchange, there's lots of details here, but it's summed up in this statement. If you knew the gift of God that was in front of you, you would ask. If you knew who I was, you would ask. Do you want to know if you know who Jesus is? Do you want to know? What are you asking him for? If you're asking him for nothing, you don't know who he is. You don't know who he is. If you knew who I was, you would be asking me. If you knew who I was, you would be inquiring of me, not just for what you want, but you would be trying to understand my ways, my purposes, my plans. You'd, you'd be trying to discern it. If you knew who I was, you would be relating to me. But because you don't know who I am, you don't relate to me. Oh, I'm not saying you're not saved. You're born again. You're saved. You know Jesus is Savior, but you don't know him much past that. Do you know him as provider? Do you know him as shepherd? Do you know him as the one who flows the rivers of peace in your life? Do you know him as Jehovah Nisi, your banner in times of war? In time, he's your protection. Do you know that's who he is? That's who he said. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me. This is the well of revelation. The well, say it with me. The well of revelation is a deep well. This isn't a shallow pool. You don't just get revelation like that. You had to drop the bucket. He said, the well, you don't have a bucket. It wasn't like he could just scoop the water. He had to go for it. If you want revelation and greater insight into who God is, it's going to take a little bit more from you. It's going to take a little bit more effort. You're going to have to relate to him. And as you relate to him and you focus on him, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I want God to draw near to me. Sucking her thumb. God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. You get the picture? It's not him drawing near to you. It's you drawing near to him, right? He's initiated. He's welcomed you to come. You've got to respond. The well of revelation takes a little bit of work, takes a little bit of time. The well's deep. You got to work for it. It's not a shallow pool. It's a deep well, but you can have it. Jesus wants you to drink from all of these wells. All of these wells are available to you as a believer. They're yours, do you understand? Joy is yours, right? Revelation is yours. Provision is yours. Unexpected blessing is yours, but you've got to drink from those wells. You've got to draw water from those wells. The well of grace, pool of Bethesda, right? Pool of Bethesda is where the place where Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. 
Grace is spiritual power moving in love. People say it's God's riches at Christ's expense. No, it's spiritual power moving in love. That's the accurate definition. The man didn't take up his bed and walk because of God's riches at Christ's expense. The man took up his bed and walked because spiritual power moved in love. Spiritual power, the man lifts his arm because spiritual power moves in love. So this is the well of grace where God has spiritual power moving in love. He gives you overcoming power no matter the situation because he loves you. Why? So that's always the question. Why does he love me? Because he wants to. He loves you. He cares for you. He loves you when you don't love you. That's the beauty of it all. You can drink from the well of grace. Bible says we come before the throne of grace. Jesus' ruling authority is from grace. It's important to know. We don't come before an altar as Christians. We come before a throne. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us to come to the altar. I know we sing songs, and there's some amazing songs about coming to the altar, but it's not textually accurate if you really want to get down on it. We don't come to the altar. We come to the throne. Do you know why? Because we're sons and daughters. We're heirs. We're heirs of that king who sits on the throne, and his grace is ours. Don't you come to me like a beggar. You come to me on your feet. You come to me on your feet. You come like a son. You come like a daughter, and you expect me to move in power on your behalf. This is what he wants. The pool of grace is yours. Don't go to the altar. Go to the throne. Go where the authority is. The sacrifice has already been made. Jesus isn't on the cross, and he's not in the tomb. He's on the throne. He rules forevermore. Amen? Pool of Siloam, pool of deliverance and healing. What's the pool of Siloam got to do with anything? Pool of Siloam was outside the city gate. Hezekiah in time of great distress. So you can draw from the waters of healing. You can draw from the waters of deliverance. You can. You can draw from the waters of grace. Man picked up his bed and walked. He said, that's healing. No, God. Jesus said, which is easier? Just say, take up your bed or your sins are forgiven. It's a pool of grace. Pool of Siloam is a pool of deliverance and a pool of healing. Hezekiah, the king of Israel, dug a well. He dug a trench from the pool of Siloam into the city because the city was being attacked by the Assyrians. And so Hezekiah used that well to deliver the people, to deliver the people from the enemy. You need deliverance? Yeah, there's a well for you. You can drink from the water of deliverance. It's yours. You have access to it. It's also the pool of healing. It's the well where Jesus had the blind man, right? With the, he, Jesus spit, right? I love to share this. We never think Jesus would offend anyone. Are you kidding me? He would never offend anyone? I always point, the Syrophoenician woman, he called her a dog. He called her a dog. She comes to him, heal my daughter. He said, you don't, give holy, you don't give what is holy to dogs. Dog, the bread is for the children. Why should I help you? And she said, because you're kind, you're generous, you're loving, you're just. That was the implication. And when Jesus heard that and she, she knew who he was, she knew he was kind, just, loving, and able to surpass any and all things, he gave her what she asked for, right? He spits in a blind guy's eyes. Can you imagine that? That'd be all over CNN. He spit in a blind guy's eyes. People would be like, oh my gosh, the news media would be appalled. Prophet spits in a blind man's eyes. Who spits in a blind man's eyes? This is injustice. This is prejudice. He spits in a blind man's eyes. How many of you would be offended if Jesus spit in your eyes? Spit, loogie. You hear him doing something. You're thinking, did he just spit? And then he just pastes your eyes with it. Would you be offended? We have to move past our offenses with the Lord. 
It's, again, what prevents us from seeing. It prevents us from moving forward is because we're so offended. Oh, how dare he say that? Ah, 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 ah. Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Did he not say that? Come on. Did he not say that? He told John, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Amen? You can drink from the pool of deliverance and you can drink from the pool of healing, provided you don't be offended. I don't need deliverance. Really? Can we look at your life, man? Can we look? Have you seen your life? Right? It's getting quiet, man. You guys are getting really quiet. I'm all in on deliverance. I will be bound by nothing. The devil will enslave me to nothing. I am freeborn son of God. And any legal rights he has, they're not going to last long. You have to have that same heart. You say, I was delivered at the cross. You were delivered judicially at the cross. The judge has ruled, but you must enforce the judicial decree. And you must enforce the judicial decree accurately, appropriately, because the devil's just not going to let it go. He's a legalist. He's a legalist. Right? So generic things don't just make it happen. Yeah? Another story, another day, another message. <laughs> I'll tell you another quick story about uh, Czechoslovakia. You guys want to hear a story? Yeah. yeah? Okay, so we go to this toy store. I'm buying this little tin toy for my grandson, right? It's this toy store that's been around from like the 40s, right? So it's this little tiny toy store on a hill in Prague. And I go in there, and they got all these like tin toys in there. So I'm buying this tin toy for, for Rowan. You know, the toy maker's showing us all these things that all these toys do. And, and um, so I pay for it. It's like 20 bucks or something. I buy this little um, beetle that runs around in circles. And... Uh, and so he goes, your credit card likes you, because my, my credit card went through. And I said, my credit card likes me. My wife likes me. It's like, Jesus likes me, and the toy maker likes me. And he looks at me, and he says, do you not see my shirt? He's like, I want nothing to do with Jesus. And he had a shirt, and it was like black on black, but he had an upside-down cross on his shirt, which I didn't see. And so I started having this conversation with this guy and uh, talking about, he's trying to give me all the science and everything. And so I know what I'm dealing with. I don't know what he said to me, but my wife said, when I heard him say that, she said, I thought to myself, that is the last thing you want to say to Kevin. <laughs> so I'm like, and Sherry starts talking. I'm like, I got this. I got this. So I started having this conversation with him, and I know I'm dealing with spirits. This guy's like entrenched, and I know these spirits are talking at me. And so I'm just like, you know, maneuver them, jujitsu them, you know, elbow smash to the face, get out of the way. And I start talking to the guy, and I said, his name's Ivan. And I said, Ivan, I want to honor you. I grabbed his hand. I said, I want to honor you. I said, you're a man of great intellect, and you've done a lot of, you're very smart, and you've done a lot of effort in trying to understand truth and trying to understand meaning. And I said, you've searched for truth. And I said, I just want you to know I release the illuminating light of the creator into you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he looked at me, and he said something else. And I said, again, Ivan, I bless you, and I release the illuminating light of your creator into you by the power of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did that. And when I let his hand go, the, he's doing this. He couldn't even talk. Sherry's like, did you see that? I'm like, he's standing two feet in front of me. Of course I saw that. And at the end, I told him, I said, Ivan, because we're not dealing, you know, they're, they're blinded. The God of this world blinds their eyes. He's opened himself up to dark things. And those dark things are claiming him. But I'm going to release light. And I told him, I said, I believe, I saw the Lord showing up to him. I told him, I said, I believe you're going to have an encounter with Jesus. So pray for Ivan. 
Ivan the toy maker in Prague, Czechoslovakia. And I told him, I believe you're going to have an encounter with Jesus. And I saw the Lord appearing on his bed, and I'm telling him all this crazy stuff. I don't even remember what I said, but it was surreal. It was like I was in the swirl of the glory while I was talking to this guy. And I walked out, and I was like, what did I say? I can't even remember what I said. I remember some of it. And then he looks at me, and he says, he's just like dumbfounded. Then he looks at me and shakes his head. He's like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. God loves Ivan. Most Christians would be offended. They'd walk out of there. Oh, I'm not buying that toy. Oh, shh, 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 shh. You know what I mean? That's how we would react to that. I believe it was divine purpose. I don't believe and believe I could see his shirt. I wasn't even paying attention to the guy's shirt, you know? And he's got this shirt on. It was just crazy. It's crazy. But God, God can heal and God can deliver. Everybody got you guys okay? Here we go. You want to know the last well? The greatest of all wells is in John chapter 7. Hmm? I've talked about it before. It's the well of everlasting life that's within us. We have wells that we can draw water from, but God has placed well within us. And this well, when we can learn to release the well within us, it will release life everywhere we go. Just like when I grabbed, when I grabbed Ivan's hand and I refused to be offended by Ivan and I tried to find a place where I could honor him. Why? Because honor creates... Uh-huh. Honor creates access. And so when I was honoring him, his heart opened, and boom, I just loosed the light of Jesus in the name of Jesus. So God's got a well, a river inside of you, and he wants to loose that river. Say, I've got the Holy Spirit. Is the river flowing, Christian? Is the river flowing? We've got to get this river that's within us to move. We've got to care. We've got to let life come out of us. We've got to learn how to operate in power. We have to learn how to let life come out of us. This happens in John. In the name of Jesus, in, jo- in the book of John, the gospel of John, the priest, I'm closing right here. The, go- the priest would go down and they would draw water from the pool of Siloam. They would go to this temple steps every year, thousands of years. So long as the temple stood, the priests would do the water drawing. They would draw from Siloam, which is healing and deliverance. And they would take, go to the top of the temple and they would dump the water down the steps And the water from this pots would rush down the temple steps and the people would begin to sing the psalm. And they would begin to sing the song. And in the song, the psalm, it had freely we drink from the wells of salvation. I think it's Isaiah they're quoting. But they would begin to sing and they would quote that verse that we drink from the waters of salvation. While they were doing this, while they were doing this. So I want to put the picture in your mind that these people had been doing this. As long as they had been alive, they would go to the temple in Jerusalem and they would watch And they would do this ritual, and they could name it. They could go through it by number. Okay, here he comes. Okay, count it down. 30 seconds. Boom, here comes the water. Boom, now we're going to sing. They knew it. They knew it by heart. But they had a crazy interruption this day. Because Jesus, that, that, that ceremony was a prophetic fulfillment of something the Lord wanted to do. So while they're pouring the water down quietly down the steps, trickle, 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 Bible says Jesus steps up and he goes, Ho! If any man thirsts, come to me, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about the well of the Spirit. Did that shock you? Did that surprise you? It's supposed to. It's called a hallel. A hallel is a shout. A hallelujah is not hallelujah, it's hallelujah. It's rooted in the word, it's rooted in halal, and it means to shout. 
You think it's a, you think it's you think it's a coincidence that Jesus shouted a halal? Shout to the Lord. You don't think Jesus is going to shout? The temple of David, the temple of Solomon, the, the tribulation temple. David was the, my friend, Andrew, who was going to speak today. He he went to the temple. He went to the statue of David in Florence. And he said he was with his son. And when he walked up to the, to the statue of David in Florence, and do you know why? Because David brought the praise into Israel. They had never prayed and prayed, praised like Israel until David came. David's jumping in his underwear. Hmm? David is shouting, shouting glory to God. Triumphant victory praise all over the place. It had never happened until David. Never and David, God said, David is a man who pursues my heart. Here's a guy who gets it. I can use a guy in a generation who knows how to open a river. I can use a guy in a generation who's unaffected by the opinions of people, who doesn't care, hmm? who will shout loudly until the heavens open, who will shout loudly until the ground breaks. That man I can use. That woman I can use. We were in Moravia, and when we were in Moravia, that Hernhut place, there was such division among the churches because this count was welcoming all these Christian refugees from all over the world, and they had all this doctrinal division, and so the churches weren't talking to each other. There was a lot of this, but the kids would still play with each other. You understand? You may not talk to your neighbor, but your neighbor, your kid likes to play with the neighbor. You, you get what I'm saying? The kids would all pray with each other, and the kids were so distraught because their parents couldn't get along. The children started a prayer meeting in the woods. This is true. And the children would pray every night that their parents would, that God would move upon their parents and bring unity. And the woman was telling us that they were shouting so loudly in prayer that they were waking up the whole neighborhood. Children were shouting in prayer. And they said the parents came down and told the children, stop shouting. They've got to plow the fields in four hours. And the count came down and let, he said, let them shout. The heavens must open. And it was a great move. This is how the Moravians came forth. This is how this missionary movement came forth. He said a great spirit of peace began to descend over the communities. And the Christians signed an agreement and said, we made a disagree on everything, but we're going to agree upon the cross and the resurrection. And they said, and when that unity began to happen, within five years, they were sending more missionaries all over the world than in any other place. And we all want to applaud that. But what about the shouting children in the field? Huh? What about the shouting children in the field? That doesn't fit our modern context. That's not safe and clean. That's not tidy. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't, that doesn't fit with our suits and being hair, being high and tight and our religious functions. That doesn't fit the narrative. But it fits Jesus' narrative. Revival happened when children began to shout and pray and cry out to God in a field. A halal. God brought a revival to a city, to a nation. When David said, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what the opinions of others are of me. God's glory matters. And he came up with hallelujah. And it was a shout, a shout. Jesus on the cross shouted. He didn't go, Tetelestai. He said, Tetelestai. It is done. He didn't whisper it. He shouted it. Huh? My friend went to the statue in Florence with his son, and he looked at his son. He's like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And his son's like, please don't do it, Dad. Please don't do it. He said, I walked up to David, right? You got to understand the significance. David brought the halal. And so he stood, in the, he stood before the statue in, in Florence, and he went, Ho! Oh! 
he cried out a halal before the statue of David in Florence. And I don't know if they're ever going to let him back in that place. But can you imagine what honor? You know what I'm saying? So we're going to give a little shout. You guys got to outdo first service. They did amazing, right? There's less people in this service, but I think we can do a little bit better. We're going to shout. You're, okay, let me, let me help you out. Don't look for the door. Don't you, be, don't you be looking for the door. Say it with me. My life will never change until Jesus' thing becomes my thing. Here's our problem. We say questions, we say things like this, and you know why I can say this? Because I'm that guy. I'm the guy that used to say, it's not my thing, not my thing, not my thing. All those lunatics over there, all those crazy people over there, not my thing, not my thing, not my thing, until the Lord said, it's my thing, Kevin. It's my thing. It's not your thing. It's like, when are you going to start letting my thing become your thing? When's that going to happen? Or have you no interest in my thing? You only have interest in your thing. So I became a worshiper. I used to worship. We used to be part of spirit-filled churches, and then we kind of moved away from it, and I was just really pushed away for a season of my life. And I wasn't really honoring God in the manner that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I was always honoring God. That's why I say Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. There's at least 10 Holy Spirits per service here because i got to make up for that, right? <laughs> Church wants to put a Holy Spirit in a corner, huh? Because he doesn't fit the narrative. He doesn't, he's not all, it's not everything's not neat and tidy, clean. We may be clean, but we're not effective. God's not called us to be cool. He's called us to be effective. God's not called us to be dignified. He's called us to be effective. And there's a massive difference. And when we stand before the Lord, his question to us is, were you dignified? His questions to us aren't going to be, were you cool? Huh? His question is going to be, were you effective? Were you effective? That's his question. Amen? So I became a latte worshiper. This was my first move. I'd have a coffee in my hand. That's why I can talk about latte worshipers, because I was a latte worshiper. I'd have a coffee in my hand, and I'd get my hand going. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah. <laughs> and now I shout. Now I shout. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. My wife would look at me and she'd go, does this bother me and bother you? And to be honest, I had to say, yeah, this bothers me. But it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't bother me anymore. Like, it bothered you? That bothered you? How could that bother you? Because I'm a human being, man. I have barriers just like you. I've loved God my whole life. I've served God my whole life. Maybe you're already there. That's great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for that, you know. Good for you. Come on, we're going to give God a glory. Come on. You're going to feel better. Right? So you're going to shout, and we're going to get all, you know, you know there's actually things called shout therapy. Come on, stand your feet. Psychologists take us and do shout therapy. Jesus has been releasing shout therapy for over 2,000 years. It's like if my people would just understand shout therapy, we could solve some problems here. We could get a lot of things out of the way. Say this, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to open the well of life within me. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. All that I am is yours. Holy Spirit, I allow you to come into the waters of my bitterness. I forgive those who have hurt me. I forgive myself. If Jesus can forgive me, then I can forgive me. I choose to draw from the waters of servitude. I choose to pick up the promises that I have laid down and not look with natural eyes that I might drink from the well of provision. I seek revelation 
and a deeper understanding of who you are so that I may ask in a deeper way. I come before the throne of grace and I draw forth the life that is promised. I drink of the well of deliverance. I drink of the well of healing and I give you permission to open the greatest well in the name of Jesus. One, two, three, we're gonna shout. One, two, three, ho! Come on, you guys are awesome. Listen, if you're a teenager, this is the time, right? I used to bring the kids out here and I'd say, come on out here. I go, you can shout. And they'd look at me and they go, as loud as I want. And I'm like, as loud as I want, as loud as, come on children, we're gonna do it again. One, two, three, ho! Come on, yes. In the name of Jesus, I release the river of life to you that it would open and that streams would flow forth from you like no other, like no other. And that God would use you in a great way and would flow from your life and create an ecosystem surrounding you. And that that river that is released through you would create a delta that is part of this church so that we together can create an even greater ecosystem that affects change in our community and affects change in the world, Lord. We give you the glory. We release it, Holy Spirit. And we give you the thanks for it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. May you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. We got a prayer team if you need prayer.